0: So Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 15, and we're going to head through to verse 21 this evening, and then we'll kind of discuss some of the things that are going on within this portion of Scripture. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 says, "...look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit." addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we close off this particular section, obviously not the end of chapter 5 here, but there's a particular section that we're dealing with, and this is kind of the end of that, kind of the close of that concept, of that idea. The beginning portion of our section is what we looked at last week. And in looking at that section, we had seen that it dealt heavily with imitating God in what we shouldn't be doing. Now, there, there's going to consist of different things within our context this evening that we shouldn't be doing as well, but it was very heavy-handed in terms of what, it's, what we're not supposed to be doing— In terms of how we imitate God, and we talked about things that we should be doing as imitating God, and we'll kind of recap some of those things as well. But the bulk of the section last week dealt with what we shouldn't do, what we should avoid, what we should abstain from. And while, again, we referenced other options and ideas of what we should be doing, not just what we shouldn't be doing, but what we should also be doing, the main portion of our time this evening is going to deal with the concept of what we should be doing in a proactive sense. You know, So we should be looking at what it is that we should do with our time, because if you'll remember, the main issue of our context is going back into chapter 4, has to deal with not doing pointless things. Not doing things that have no value to them, that have no significance to them, and indeed, they don't have any spiritual benefit to them. They don't benefit your, your salvation. They don't benefit your life as a Christian. They don't add to the things of the kingdom. They don't add to you living in a way that is pleasing unto God. And that's been a big issue of our context in our study in the past couple of weeks, is doing things that are pleasing to God, but also a benefit to you. That's kind of what we're dealing with. So that would naturally incur issues that we would have to avoid because there's ways that we can do things that they will take away from the benefit of our lives and that will take away from us doing things that are pleasing unto God. And so how to be pleasing to God and avoiding different kinds of of areas of what we say, what our attitudes are, what our behaviors are, Those kind of pointless activities that eventually degrade, and they will, into sinful activities. If you're spending your time, wasting your time, that would be a good way to phrase the way that many of us would probably end up spending our time, is it's a waste of time. With a waste of time that goes by, there is ample amount of time, there is a good amount of time that would exist that we're missing, we're missing out on things that would be pleasing to God and things that we say. Things that we feel and think and believe, and and then of course our behavior, the things that we would do, that we're missing out on things that would benefit our lives, and missing out on things that would ultimately be pleasing to God. So to kind of focus more in upon things that we should be doing, because I'm sure many of you have heard before that many times people can understand what you're against, but they may not have any idea what you're for. So many different things that we would be opposed to, but what are things that we are not opposed to and that we are desiring to do? What are things that we are for? So that's kind of a little bit of our idea this evening. And so we're going to ask a question, and then looking into our context, we're going to answer that question this evening. So the question is, in knowing what to not do to be pleasing to God, we saw that last week, what should I be doing, especially in circumstances of my free time? That's where, that's where, as a Christian, the rubber's going to meet the road. That's where there's going to be specific areas of battles that are going to take place within your life. There's not really much of a battle or a struggle, necessarily, that's going on right now. Not many of you are looking to get drunk right here at youth group. I don't know, many of you may be. You never know. Kids can come into churches and... Circumstances may be already inebriated, but it's not necessarily as common or as much of a struggle or a battle as it would be to be sitting there in the privacy of a party or to be sitting there even when the privacy of your own home or your own room and you're just living in a condition of free time. You're living in a circumstance of free time. And so what are you going to do in that time? We know what not to do. And in fact, there's, there's again also going to be instruction of what not to do within your free time. But in, in general, in your free time, but as well as in other areas where you're hanging out with somebody, where you're trying to plan what you want to do for the weekend. No matter what it is, there's any area that this would be very applicable for, but especially in those times and indeed in the privacy of your own thoughts in those private moments of your life that nobody else has access to and it's just you and the voice in your head, what are you going to do positively? What are you going to do proactively <clears throat> to be able to spend your time wisely? That's the issue that we're dealing here, dealing with here in our context. Verse 15 and verse 16. Be careful then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So here's the problem. Doing nothing, not pursuing any kind of proactivity within the faith, not pursuing anything that is ultimately pleasing to God, even if you're existing in an only don't-do capacity, That's just the default position of your life. You're not going to do things that are sinful. Even just sitting in that kind of a capacity, the default position of not doing something is going to be evil. So if you wake up in the morning, yes, we recognize passages of Scripture that talk about God's grace, God's mercy being new every morning, God's giving you enough grace and enough sufficiency to extend throughout the day, but we can also recognize that there's ways that we can take that grace in vain that we as lackadaisical or lazy or whatever it is we're lazy christians if we wake up in the morning and we spend that entire day not contributing to things that are pleasing to god it would ultimately be evil it's wicked that's how the days are the days are naturally evil now since the fall since man had fell into sin from that moment forward until Christ comes and redeems this creation perfectly and finally, then the days themselves are evil. And the time that we could be using, if it's not the best use of the time, then we're exhibiting and existing in days that are evil, days that are wicked. So to do nothing is not the answer to the question. But what is it that I should be doing When I approach this text, how is it that I should spend my free time? How is it that I should spend my busy time? You know, many of you guys may already have jobs now. Many of you guys probably have schoolwork to do either in a public or a private setting. But no matter what it is, maybe you have chores to do. There's probably something that you are required or obligated to do. And that's ultimately going to be the case for the rest of your life. Even in retirement, there's still things that you should be doing, especially on a spiritual standpoint. So there's free time, though. There's that time where I don't have an obligation. That's time where I can spend time with friends. That's time where I could be doing something, watching television, playing video games, going to the mall, whatever it is. There's there's a free time section that is a part of my life. There's a busy time section that's a part of my life as well. Maybe I have a job. Maybe I'm going to school. Whatever it is. Something is going on where I'm going to be busy. I'm going to be occupying my time with something. How do I do that? How do I spend that time? Because again, if I go into a secular workplace, and here's how you waste a secular job. It can be wasted very easily. It can be a wicked thing to do to go into a secular job and to waste a secular job. So we'll take, for example, when I was in high school, I was working in a sporting goods retail store. And so I would go in there, and of course my, my great uncle owned the place, and so basically gave me a free pass to come and go as I pleased which that's the worst thing to do for a dude like me that was lazy. It's like, sure, you set your own hours. You set your own pace. Come in when you feel like it. Leave when you feel like it. So I would come in at 10, leave at 11. <laughs> 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. Not like I was working hard where it's 10 a.m. and 11 p.m. That would have been admirable at the time. But come in for an hour. You know what, Uncle Charlie? I feel like I'm not supposed to be here anymore. I've, I've put in a good hards work hards day uh, hard work day today. I'm done. I can... I can clock out. We're good to go. And he'd be like, okay, that sounds good. We'll see you later. Take care. You know, of course, the paycheck was miserable at that point, too, because you're paid hourly. But anyways, there's a way in which there is a wasting of that job. But if you go in there, and there is a specific kind of activity that takes place within your life, then even a secular job is something that's not wasted. I mean, you think about the eternal significance of a particular job. You know, now I'm doing web design on the side. You think about an eternity future. You're sitting there. You're fellowshipping with other believers in heaven in a perfect state, sinless state. You're freed up to totally worship God and experience God. At what point would I impress anybody to say that I wrote something in HTML? Big deal. Big whoop. There's God. There's your coding. Fun. No, we're going to move on and we're going to talk about other things that are super awesome. But if there's a specific kind of activity within the life of a person doing these things, within the life of a person, I mean, here's, of course, use this as ammunition so that way I can get parents that call me this next week. But in schooling, do you really think two plus two equals four is going to be that awesome in eternity future? I mean, some of you guys that are math buffs and you're like, oh, this is so sick. You got like letters and numbers and stuff and they're all together and you could like do different equations and different things like that and it it all works out in the end. It never did for me. That's why it it was never fun. You know, no equation ever worked the way the teacher did it. It It's like ridiculous. But are those things really that awesome in comparison to the God who created math? No, the the reality is that heaven's going to be amazing because of the presence of God and our ability to fellowship with him perfectly, permanently, and unhinderedly. It's going to be awesome. But again, there's an activity that can take place within the person who is pursuing these studies, who is existing in these workplaces that allow these things to not be wasted. That there is a meaningful way to pursue busy time. And then, of course, free time where you have the opportunity to in effect choose what it is that you would like to be doing with your time what is it that you do at that point point? and you're told here in the context to take careful looks at to how you live so there's a specific responsibility that's on our burden that's on our shoulders that in any circumstance of life it is foolish to not pay careful attention to what's going on and even more specifically it is super foolish to not pay attention to what you're doing during a circumstance it's foolish to not pay attention to your motivation why it is that you're doing something and if there's zero biblical justification for doing something, then it's foolishness to pursue it. So there's a motivation issue. There's a thinking issue. What are my thoughts as I'm going through something? You know, those of you guys that are dating or those of you guys that are even engaged now, or if that's a possibility, I don't know. But if anybody who's in any kind of a relationship with somebody of the opposite sex, you're pursuing something, just because you're not physically doing something sinful with the other person doesn't mean your thoughts cannot be scrutinized. If you're thinking wrongly about the other person, thinking sinfully about the other person, that can be sin. So how it is am I spending my time in my mind, with my thoughts, with my actions, with my speech, with my behavior, with my attitudes? There is nothing beneficial to the kingdom of God to have anybody serving while they're complaining, while they're grumbling, while they're disgruntled about it. Ah. You want me to do what? Fine. you go over and you do it. And then you come back and it's like, well, don't get upset at me. I did what you wanted me to do. And of course, that's the home life, right? Parents saying, hey, so-and-so, talking to you, go do this. Ah! Ridiculous. Do you have any idea how much you've inconvenienced me? I was, in the moment of getting my level 79 night elf hawk ranger to level 80 do you have any idea how much of a big deal this is i get dragon armor now making this up sort of (laughs) super inconvenience all because i have to do something especially within the kingdom of god god does not recruit people. God does not save people out of darkness so that they can turn right around and basically spit in his face for the activity that he has planned for them to be working in. He doesn't want anybody that's a grumbler or a complainer. There's ways that I can even then waste ministry. I can waste service to God. And you think about that with how amazing different aspects of ministry can be. That even if I were discipling somebody, somebody I'm, I'm, I could fly under the flagship. I'm fulfilling Matthew 28. I'm, I'm doing the Great Commission. I'm making somebody as a disciple. But to do so without these kinds of concepts that we're about to talk about would be wasted discipleship. Wasted discipleship. And in fact, there's even a danger. In Matthew 23, when you see the Pharisees, these were religious leaders. These were people that were wasting religion. They were wasting their position of leadership of the people. And Jesus even said in their lives, You have made people, in proselytizing them, making them your disciples, you have made them twice a child of hell. There's even some serious implications of how we spread ministry, how we spread the name of Christ if we're not doing things the way that they're outlined within this context. Don't be foolish. Make the best use of your time. Be diligent to understand what it is that God wants. Verse 17, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be foolish. Don't be ignorant. Don't be somebody that doesn't know what the will of God is, and it's one of the most consistent questions that is asked in any church setting, and it's one of the most highly revealed concepts in Scripture. What is the will of God? Don't be ignorant of it. Don't get into a point where you're ignorant of the will of God that you would even think about asking the question, I'm just trying to figure out what God's will is. It's revealed in Scripture. To not know what God's will is, is to reveal an ignorance of what has been revealed in Scripture. It's right here in the pages before you. There is no such thing as the Bible being insufficient for your life. There is such a thing as having spent insufficient time in it. Don't be foolish. Spend your time wisely. Consist live in consistent activity that understands what God's will is in a particular situation. And of course, we can bring up one passage of Scripture that would refer to it, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4. And you've got to love the way that it's revealed. Because it's not some kind of cryptic message that you have to decode, or you got to pull up a cipher and go through some kind of a decryption process to try to figure out what 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, and 4 is saying about the will of God. It says, this is the will of God. That's, that's your cue. In fact, you can Google this. The will of God versus... The will of God Bible passages. The will of the Lord Bible passages. And they'll come up in in perfect demonstration of what the Scriptures are representing as the will of God. This is the will of God, your sanctification. In other words, the will of God for you is to be set apart, to grow closer to Him, and to be more like Christ. That's what sanctification is. It's where there's this this less consistent participation in sin and more of a persistent and consistent participation in the things that are pleasing unto God that we can see here within this context even as an immediate thing that we can put into action. And it even tells us in verse 4 that it's the idea of knowing how to control yourself. One of the most important activities of an individual is the ability to control yourself. And in fact how that's normally going to play out in your life, how normally you're supposed to control yourself, is most likely going to be saying no to yourself. Saying no to a desire that's wrong. Saying no to a passion that's wrong. Saying no to an indulgence that's wrong. Indulging within some kind of an activity that you know is wrong. And you know it's wrong. Galatians 5 tells us that. Galatians 6 as well. You know something that is wrong. You know something that is sinful. And by saying yes to it is not controlling yourself. Saying no to something is controlling yourself. And that's how the process of sanctification goes. Denying yourself. This is how you become a Christian. This is how you become a follower of Christ. Take up your cross daily. Deny yourself take up your cross daily and follow me the cross is an instrument of death he's saying take up your instrument of death take up your ability to not live for yourself and then take up the ability to live for christ this is what this is like and the very fact that self-control is the understanding of what the will of the lord is is also present within our text that's why verse 18 is mentioned Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Debauchery is the idea of when you just simply let go. There is no more restraint. There's no more control. So now whenever an image comes up on the computer, debauchery is no control. You let go. And you allow the sinful nature that still exists within you to take control, to take over, and you're clicking on things you shouldn't click on. You're drinking things, especially within our context here. You're drinking things you shouldn't be drinking. You're doing things that you shouldn't be doing. Debauchery is when you just say, fine, it's okay. I will go ahead and live and do anything. No control. And so Paul's saying, and he's not by saying alcohol here by saying drunkenness he's not limiting it only to drunkenness he's he's saying this given this being the most prominent issue and the easiest way in his hearer's time frame of being able to not be in control of their senses to not be in control of their bodies don't be under the influence of something that leads to debauchery debauchery is the issue of the text And how it is that I can get to that point where I'm simply letting go, no inhibitions, no control over my life whatsoever, and I'm more than happy and capable to be able to persist and do anything at that point. It's debauchery. Don't do something that causes you to not be in control of your body, to not be thinking clearly about circumstances. And even to hinder something that is so crucial and essential to our context, and that is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't do debauchery, because this is all about lack of self-control. This is all about abandonment of self. You're not taking care of yourself anymore. You're not taking care of your spirituality anymore. You're not even concerned. It's like you come to a crossroads. You come to a fork in the road. And over here is where you continue to say no to sin. You continue to say no to temptation. You go down this path. It's difficult. It hard, it's hard. It stinks. It's painful. Yes, all those different things are that road right there. Or your choice is to go over this way. And in this road, it is super easy. It's all downhill. You don't even have to worry about it. You don't have to be in control. You just hop in a, hop in a wagon or something and just coast down this hill. And this is where you say yes to anything, no control whatsoever. You finally have allowed yourself to be in a position whereby which you say, "I it doesn't matter anymore. I'm just going to let go. Whatever happens, happens. In this road, there is something that is ultimately better. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means that not only are you in self-control, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, Right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self control. All those different things are present there within that context. But specifically, a fruit of the Spirit, self control. One of the activities of the Holy Spirit is not a group of chaotic individuals, but is a group of individuals that are restrained, they're under control. there's usually that statement that would exist within people's minds that i have it was it was for freedom that christ set you free don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery therefore being free in christ is my ability to do things that would even be a stumbling block to another brother or sister in christ i can there's a lot of things that i can do now i got freedom in christ and to come back into place and say, there's, there's a set of rules that I still have to follow, that's immediately called legalism. Immediately that's bad. Immediately that's wrong. There's no boundaries now. I've been freed. And I can do things now. And yet the fact of the matter is, is that for somebody who is genuinely saved, to be in Christ is to be under the control of of the Holy Spirit. It's like Ezekiel 36 said, I will cause them to walk in My statutes. Which, of course, if you hear that and you think, bummer. You think, lame. God is saying that He's going to cause me to do things. He's going to push me into a direction of doing His statutes, of doing His laws. That's lame. That's not what I would want to do. If you're going to tell me that that's what salvation is, then why is there any reason to change? You want to take me out of freedom, because I've got the freedom to just simply let go debauchery, do whatever it is that I want to do, and then I come over here, and you're telling me that there is a regulation now of my life, that there's a restriction now of my life? If you hear that, you're missing the point of the gospel. You're missing the point of those laws. Because now as a Christian the ability to not just simply do what god wants and to do what god is decreeing isn't just to simply follow a set of rules or regulations but it's to do things that are ultimately a spiritual benefit to you and that they're pleasing unto god those are things that god enjoys To follow after God, to do things that God wants us to do, to obey Scripture, to follow within His causation of us doing His laws, His statutes, is to be pleasing unto God. And when a Christian, when a person is pleasing to God, they're fulfilling their original intention, what you were supposed to be a worshiper, and somebody that brings honor and glory to God, that's the only way that you can really experience satisfaction and joy in life. It's the only way that that's going to happen. And in fact, the term filled for be filled with the Holy Spirit, when it says to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Greek word here would also mean be satisfied with the Holy Spirit. That's the issue. You go down here in self-abandonment and you're only kidding yourself that this is enjoyable you're fooling yourself it's foolishness it's even it's even stated within our context don't be foolish that's foolish but understanding what the will of the lord is that's not foolish that's wise that's wisdom and wisdom is ultimately something that produces satisfaction within a person's life as they're able to endure life according to the word of god that's what wisdom is It's to look at things, it's to apply things, and it's to experience things from God's perspective and the way God said things are supposed to be. And we can't forget the fact that God had said that He is a rewarder. He rewards those who diligently seek Him. Delight yourself in the Lord. Make God the joy of your life, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And when your will becomes God's will, know what the will of the Lord is. When your will becomes God's will, when you want what God wants for you, you get what you want 100% of the time. Get ready, as we've been discussing and we've been talking about, living as the new you, putting off the old man, putting on the new man, putting off the old sinner, putting on the new saint, living as the new you, get ready to begin to experience having a God that only says yes. Yes. To everything that you want. Everything that you want. But of course the caveat is the fact that you should also be aware that your desires are going to change. You're not going to desire lame things. You're not going to desire unspiritual things. What you would desire is what's being presented within our text to be satisfied with the Holy Spirit of God because holiness is that attribute of God that he is so infinitely pleased with and satisfied with within himself from eternity past to eternity future. And the Holy Spirit particularly carries that characteristic with him to your life so that that way, that attribute of God that is pleasing can be present with you 24-7. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be satisfied with the Holy Spirit. Now it's important to note that the activity of being filled is actually not active so you can't go out and do something to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's not some kind of like wonderful prayer that you say and that invokes the Holy Spirit. Right? We're not magicians. We're not pagans where we do rituals in order to invoke our deity. Our God's going to do things. The idea of the passiveness here being filled with the Holy Spirit is that when God is going to do this, He's going to do this. He is the one that by His activity and involvement within your life, He's going to cause you to be satisfied with Him. That's beautiful. There's nothing more spectacular about having to just simply be able to sit back and be able to have God satisfy you with Himself. That's That's glorious. I don't have to do the laws. I don't have to to do the things of the Old Testament in order to be satisfied with God. Because of the righteousness of Christ, I have the position and the ability now to simply be satisfied with God. But if you will remember, if you go back to Ephesians 4.30, there's something that we do to the Holy Spirit that stops this activity. So again, it's not that we can do something in order to receive the Holy Spirit, but there is something that we can do in order to hinder this. And this should create such a huge perspective for each and every one of us when it comes to sin. There is satisfaction. And that's being content in every single circumstance. That's being able to suffer and not lose hope or joy. That's being able to go through life with an advantage over fallen humanity. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's the privilege and the opportunity for there to be a communication of the glories and the wonders and the magnificence and the magnanimity and the wonderful majesty of God being communicated and conferred to your life by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And that's all you get to do is simply enjoy and bask in the wonderfulness of God. That's yours. Youth. Youth. Kids, high schoolers, mid schoolers, individuals that may be looked down upon, maybe frowned upon, not taken seriously, and yet a privilege that is yours. Nobody can take it away. The privilege that is yours is to be satisfied and to be filled up. That's You get the idea of being filled with something. And I think of yourself as being desperately hungry. Not just hungry, but desperately hungry. And then you, you receive a meal, but you don't just receive enough to kind of calm the hunger for a certain period of time. You receive... Plenty of food, complete amounts of food from this moment onward to be filled and to be satisfied with that which God is giving you. That's yours. The only thing. that as God is so omnipotent and sovereign in this, as He is going to do this, He has decreed within His own sovereignty to willingly allow Himself to be limited by your sinful activity. That's why He spent so much time talking to us about put off the old, put on the new. Stop sexual sin. Stop joking sexually. Stop joking crudely. Stop making these jokes that are so foolish and pointless. Stop talking about foolish and pointless things. Stop stop doing things that are wasting your time because everything outside of this is a waste of time. You're missing opportunities to be satisfied with the Holy Spirit, to experience this. If there is a consistent participation in sin, He will satisfy you. And these other areas, drunkenness, sexual immorality, these, these other kinds of things, these are not what ultimate satisfaction is. If you think those are enjoyable, you're kidding yourself. That which is truly enjoyable is the presence of the Holy Spirit satisfying you with Himself. And He's infinite. He doesn't run out. These other activities, they have an expiration date an expiration date that could be immediate it's an expiration date that could be long-term but at some point this runs out it's like Jesus at the wedding of Canaan John chapter 2 and you've got this wedding that's going on here and this is this is a blissful joyous occasion wonderful occasion and in Judaism the wedding was a way bigger deal than it is today and you if you see television shows about chicks and weddings they make it seem like it's a huge deal they spend like thousands and thousands, like hundreds of thousands of dollars on weddings and they they come and they go in a flash they're over with in judaism it was like a week-long celebration where bride and groom were paraded around the city like a king and a queen it was a glorious opportunity you would literally as a jew growing up here in the first century Especially the girls, you would wait your entire life for this moment. This was the greatest thing you were celebrated. You were royalty now it is so wonderful, but there was one thing if one thing went wrong, that wedding was it was lame. One thing went wrong. It had to be perfect, and so as embarrassing as it would be, they would have wine at the weddings, and that was a Jewish symbolism for joy, for happiness, for celebration. And that this particular wedding that Jesus attended, that ran out. It's embarrassing. It's pathetic to have had that happen. And yet then Jesus takes water and turns it into wine. So he symbolizes that from water, he can take a circumstance and pour out wine. Pour out that joy. And if He can do that on the spot like that, then there's no way for that kind of joy to run out. And as He has left His disciples, as He is ultimately at the right hand of the Majesty on high, as as at the right hand of the Father, He's ruling from that position, He sent us the Holy Spirit in the meantime and that's not somebody lesser than who he is not somebody who gives lesser joy and we're all waiting for Christ to return so we can have that better kind of joy but he is just like Christ in his deity and he is able to confer the exact same kind of all satisfying, soul satisfying joy happiness to be given within his people's lives and these other things are going to rob you of that it's going to rob you of that drunkenness sexual immorality, joking. All of those different things can rob you of that. So that's kind of some instructions. So here's here's a couple of ways that we can look at in terms of spending our time, how we can put this into practice. So we can kind of start from the beginning of chapter 5, and one of the things that we can be doing as a consistent ongoing activity in free time, busy time, whatever it is, you're going to work, you're going to school, you're staying at home to go to school, whatever it is. You're doing these things. There's several things that are important to not waste these things and to not waste your time. And to not miss out on this satisfaction. So it includes include the idea of imitating God. Now we looked at that last week, that there's a primary definition that would exist in imitating God. And that is when somebody harms us, when somebody wrongs us, No matter what circumstance they wrong us in and no matter how they wrong us, we have an attitude of imitating God based upon gospel motivation. Christ died for our sins. Jesus saves us from every single thing that we do that is sinful. Completely, perfectly, for the entirety of our lives. Has has been crucified to bear the wrath of God so that we escape the wrath of God and we just simply live in the love of God. And so to imitate God based on gospel motivation is that when somebody harms us or offends us, we forgive them. So you can think about that. To not forgive whoever it is, to not forgive them, is to waste so much time. And that's missing out on being satisfied with the Holy Spirit. You see, when somebody wrongs you, they basically owe you a debt. To forgive them says the debt is paid. It's free. Freebie. You don't owe this to me anymore. I'm not going to hold this against you. It never becomes ammunition. I'm not going to use this against you. We're not going to be in a dispute 10 years down the road and I'll be looking back and say, remember that one time you called me stupid? (laughs) It's not going to happen. Forgiven. Stricken from the record. And it's, I may still suffer from it, I can still suffer and grieve from the consequences of wicked actions. There's no doubt about that. That's why the idea of just try to forgive and forget, you don't have to worry about that. It's forgive and don't count it against that person. Don't hold it against them. Don't push it in their face anymore. So that way, as you consist in a relationship, that's not even something that you would bring up to that person. You, you quench it, you squell it, and you move on, but you can still grieve the particular activity. You don't have to be able to get into a position where you say you're forgiven and all of a sudden, oh, wow, that's crazy. I just forgave you and now everything's happy-go-perky. You don't have to worry about that. You can grieve. You can experience something. But in order to do that more effectively, in order to not waste that time, forgive them. Be an imitator in God in that sense. God also values what Jesus did perfectly the father looks at the work of christ and sees that as infinitely pleasing and infinitely valuable and so if that's how god looks at the cross that's how god looks at the gospel to imitate god means you have the highest respect and the highest esteem for the work of christ and there would be nothing that you would want to do as a default attitude as a default position there's nothing that you would want to do to malign people's perception of that work you would want people to know that that is the greatest thing that has ever happened to you and that has ever happened to them. And you want to live that way. And so that's where you can begin to see that you would treasure what Christ is saying. Treasuring His commands. His commands like loving God with everything you got. Loving your neighbor as if you were loving yourself. In other words, don't have like such a huge high esteem of yourself and then try to love somebody else the way that you would love yourself. It's the idea that you take the love that you have for yourself off of yourself and you love somebody else with it. So when you're hungry, you feed yourself. So you see somebody else hungry, you feed them. You see somebody else in a spiritual need, you you do whatever is necessary to help them in a spiritual need. You are others focused at that point. And now you can be even begin to see, like in a secular workplace, how that's going to be so much more valuable. Because if you're so much more concerned about the well-being of your other employees, that doesn't mean you've got to roll over and play dead. But that means that you would benefit them in whatever way is allowable, whatever way is possible, and then ultimately, hopefully, in whatever way is glorifying to the gospel and to God. People in a workplace scenario, if they see somebody that is totally forgiving of anything that they do, that's somebody that they trust, that's somebody that they want to be around. Somebody that they value. And a manager who knows that they can trust you, a boss that knows who they can trust you, coworkers, partners that know that they can trust you, that's gonna be a way better circumstance as it is. But that's all secondary compared to the fact that you'd be glorifying God in the workplace. How cool would that be? You know, just like looking back going to sporting goods retail with me as, as awesome as it was that I thought I made my first cell, and I, I'm pretty sure I was lying to the dude. I don't think I said anything honest about that real. I don't know. But as cool as it was, I made the cell and I like, I like walk into, I, I went and had like dinner with my parents and I walk into the restaurant as if uh, you wouldn't believe what I just did. And I come and I sit down and so Jeremy, how was work? Let me tell you how it was. It was amazing. Guy walked in and was like, I want a reel. I was like, this is what you need. He was like, fine, I'll buy it. And he was like, all right, there it is. Guy walked out with a reel. Case closed. (laughs) Praise me. But imagine what that would be like, that God is pleased with what I did, having done it unto the glory of his name. And there's one way that's very quick and very easy for that to take place. Making a sale, doing good on a homework assignment, thanking God for that kind of success and attributing to Him the reason why that even took place. Because that's true. God is the only one who is ever the source of anything that takes place that's good within your life. Every time you inhale, it's because the grace of God allows you to do that. I mean, that's what's crazy is back in Genesis when God breathed life into Adam and he became a living, breathing soul. That was an incomplete action. In other words, he didn't stop breathing life in Adam. He still was breathing life to Adam. That's the case with you today. Every breath that you take is a gift from God. So one of the most consistent activities of a person that is grateful to God is thank you for this next breath. Thank you for this next breath. Thank you for this next breath. Thank you for everything that I have. Thank you for everything that you have given to me. And truly understanding and believing that. But you can also understand that imitating God, it means that I would not be hungry for what somebody else has, I would not be coveting or jealous of what somebody else has. And of course the idea of joking is such a wonderful thing to bring up within this context because if I say just kidding, it's almost like I got an immediate free pass to saying something that's totally wrong or sinful. It's like when you when you when you joke about somebody else and you call them stupid or dumb or gay or something like that, oh I'm just kidding. Therefore, that excuses the crude joking that I just did. Or you tell a joke that was sexual or degrading to a woman or something to that effect just kidding. And then everybody kind of, you know, some people may say like a sarcastic response back, oh, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> and it's, you know, there's almost like this awkwardness that starts to exist. Oh, man. That was perverted. <laughs> We all laugh. We all have a good time. It's all funny. That's why there's a specific prohibition of the way that we would joke here is because we understand culturally in our society that a joke is a free pass. You say something mean about somebody else, they get super offended. What's the immediate response? I was just kidding. Your clothes don't look that pathetic. It was a joke. But I mean, it's like you you only said that because they got irritated Ah. don't engage in sexual immorality of any kind if you're doing that right now, stop you're missing out, you're wasting time and in fact in comparison to the way sexual activity is prior to marriage to sexual activity post marriage you're missing out this is where it's at that's awesome And that's unto the glory of God, even in that particular kind of activity. You're missing out doing it over here. You're shooting way too low, giving in way too quickly for something that is not as awesome as it would be inside marriage. It is worth the wait. So great. So much better in here. Or even relationships where you're trying to find that companionship. Over here, that is good. Or at least in what we had talked about in our series on dating, that's what's good Don't engage in relationships with the wrong kinds of people. And if you'll notice what's going on in our text here, he even says to engage in relationships with one another. And he he says so in a a very, very ridiculous way. Paul is making no sense here to say that we should go up to one another and we should talk to each other in Psalms. Makes no sense. Like we should pull up Amazing Grace like we just sung earlier and in a conversation with each other start saying amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost and now I'm found you know God calls me out on the water what about this one Lord is my shepherd I have no need Man, the activity that's being talked about here that Christians can be doing with one another. That's not wasting your time. And of course, the even says, making melody to the Lord within your heart. So you don't have to go into a workplace. You don't have to be sitting there doing schoolwork and singing it out loud. Of course, many of you don't would want to hear me sing, Amen. Zing Grace. That was a C sharp there at the No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to do it out loud. God hears what's in here. He knows what's in here. And so one way to so radically revolutionize your busy time and your free time is in here, sing to the Lord. Like you mean it. Like He means something to you. Sing to Him. And then of course we even mentioned this as well. Verse 20, Give thanks always, for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, we've talked about this before. The ability to brush your teeth, thank God for that. The ability to come to youth group, thank God for that. The ability to play video games, as long as they're not super sinful or sinful at all, thank God for that. Ability to have friendships with each other. Thank God for that. Somebody's saying something nice to you, you can thank them for a compliment, but then thank God for the fact that somebody else came into your life and encouraged you for that. And of course, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you respect Christ, pay very close attention to this. And this is not isolated just in the idea of, well, I should only submit to one another, but I should also do these other things. But if you respect Christ, if you value what he did, if you look upon the cross and you see Jesus crucified for your sin, and that's something that you would honor and be respectful to, then the people of God need to value. They need to matter. Of course, the lost would also need to matter in terms of the fact that we'd want to spread this good news, but you have a specific, consistent activity to value and to have other Christians matter within your life more than you matter. I want to say that again. Another Christian would matter more than you matter, which means you're more concerned about how they feel. You're more concerned about what they think You're more concerned about their well-being, about them being taken care of. Well, we'll pick up here again next week. Our time is far, far gone. We'll recap some of these things next week. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, we praise you. We thank you for your grace. And we pray, Father, that you'd be well honored and glorified within our lives as we do these things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.